Welcome to The Saint Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring hope to the people of East London, and I'm praying that you would feel so encouraged by this week's talk. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Mark, would you like to come on up? Guys, would you give him another round of applause? Amazing. Um, well, Mark, you're about to pull your heart out for us. So can we pray for you as you do so? Please, let's pray. Um, and can I encourage you to extend a hand out? Like, let's hold Mark in prayer as he comes to encourage us. God, we're so thankful for all that you have brought, for all that you've been stirring in Mark and all that you desire he would share. I pray that this would be the lightest word for him to give, that he would feel your joy, your delight. I pray, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts to receive what you want to say, that we would be ready and expectant and that we would listen and take these words to heart. Speak, Holy Spirit. We want to hear you. We want to follow you. We want to look more like your son, Jesus. We commit this time to you, Lord. Amen. 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 Well, good evening, everyone. How are you doing really well? Welcome to everyone watching online as well. For anyone that's not met me, um, as I was just introduced, I'm Mark, married to Jenna. We've got three kids. And um, hey, I have been so looking forward to being here in this room. Chance to share with you. And um, uh, we are looking through this Firm Foundations series at pillars and markers um, of what God seems to be doing in our midst in this season. And today what I want to do is talk to you about unwavering hope. Okay, unwavering hope. We as a church, we talk a lot about hope, don't we? If you've been around uh, in, in this part of town for uh, long enough, you'll hear that we've built an entire mission statement, values, uh, culture off the word hope. Even from the uh, verse in Romans 15, 13 that says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we talk about hope lots and um, this has been a season to be hope-filled and hopeful, right? Uh, like for me, it's, uh, it's been amazing across all the different locations that make up Saint. I've seen what God's been doing, even like the time in worship, these extended times of unhindered worship, the way that God's been leading his kids into repentance. It's like the gift of tears have been given back to the church as a gift, right? There's these things that are happening. I'm seeing people get baptized, come to faith, people being set free from things. It's almost like brokenness is coming to the surface so that 
by his grace, he can deal with it and move us on. Has anyone experienced any of what I'm talking about the last few moments? This has also been the season where West Ham Football Club won their first trophy in over 40 years. Do you know what I mean? It's like there's moments to be hopeful about things. Uh, I spent the last year um, helping just to serve with the team over at our Shoreditch location. And uh, in the last five weeks, we've just launched a third service across the day because we're making space for what God is doing. There are moments like this where I feel nothing but hope when I look at what God is doing in our midst. I also think about the, the like, unity across churches. I think about our gatherings with KXC Imprint and other friends. And I look at that and I think, God, you are doing something that I can't uh, describe or explain other than with the feeling of a hope-filled heart. And so it's been a real season of hope. And yet, uh, the life of a hope-filled Christian isn't as linear as I once thought it would be. I kind of felt like I would give my life to Jesus and then my life would be on this gently ascending trajectory towards like the pearly gates. Do you know what I mean? It would be like, I'd make it there, nothing would go wrong. But in reality, actually, what we find is life's a little bit more like this, isn't it, than this? And I, I guess today I want to speak to the speed bumps in the road uh, as we pursue unwavering hope as a people. I kind of want to speak to how we hold together those feelings of being really hope-filled and yet perhaps experiencing something a little different with our circumstance. I've kind of found that um, this past season, whilst it has been so hope-filled, has also, if I'm being really honest with you today, like maybe the last six months or so, there have been some moments, and I know for some friends in our church, these have been some of the hardest days of their lives. These have been one of the hardest seasons to lead through as an individual. Like there have been moments in this last season that have left me feeling completely overwhelmed, you know, like highly anxious, deeply, deeply worried. Can anyone relate even just to the feelings I'm talking about? It's like, um, this, is, this shouldn't be new information to you. And by the grace of God, maybe you're not walking through that. But these are real human emotions that we walk through. And whether for you it's been a personal tragedy, personal trial, maybe it's been proximity to someone else's heartbreak. If we're not attentive to it and offering those up to God and figuring out how to walk with it, it can leave us pretty marked. But it's my sense and hope that um, if we can deal with the speed bumps in the road, it will equip us to grow in our faith. It really will help us be a people of hope where people look at you and go, wow, that's not superficial on the outside, but hopeless on the in. No, you are through and through, cut through the middle. You are living out what you are telling me about. And so in this moment, my hope, I guess, is to draw together the feeling around a season of like, yes, this is a hopeful season. And yes, God is on the move. And yes, we should be so responsive to it. And yes, it's okay to have trial. It's okay to walk with instability and heartache. The two things can be held in and around the person of Jesus. And I want to explore in just the next few moments how. As was brilliantly read for us some context around what we've just had read. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing to a church in Philippi, this Philippian church. He's writing from prison. He is writing from a place where he is walking through his own trial and persecution, facing imminent death. He's also writing to a church that are facing massive persecution. 
the kind of level I'm talking about would be that when we gather, if we gather again next week, there might not be a few of our members here. Like that kind of level of persecution. This is a, a city in which there is a pantheon of gods. I'm talking like the goddess of fertility, the sun god, the god of money. Like, and trust me, these gods were not easy to please, right? And so you're in living in this city you're, and you've just rejected all of those false idols to accept Jesus as Lord who says, lay your life down for me. Now I want you to kind of imagine what it would be like to be in the city at that time, to be living out your faith in that context, ready to receive the acute punishments of the culture. In other parts of the letter, actually Paul already addresses that. Um, he recognises that these people, the people in the church in Philippi, um, are prone, have tended to, to become really deeply worried he, like, he addresses it in chapter 1, verse 28, in chapter 3, verse 1, and then in chapter 4, verse 1. He, he addresses the fact that they are prone to worry. If you want to look back through the letter and see that Paul isn't speaking in a vacuum. He's, he's addressing human beings, real human lives, real human experiences. And so I want you to imagine what unspeakable hope it must have felt like to receive these words of uh, prayer and affirmation. The words like rejoice because the Lord's near. What it must have been like to experience uh, your human emotion but matched with the word from a mentor like this. And it starts with these words in verse 4. Rejoice. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let's say that together. Rejoice. I'll say it again. Rejoice. I can swallow that line by itself. He then offers a chaser in a moment, but I guess I want to pause on this moment of rejoice and recognize that somehow through his own trial that Paul had recognized that it was still possible to enjoy God's presence whilst in the midst of deep distress. How? Through thanksgiving. He says something about giving thanks to God has enabled him to recognize that God is faithful, that God is able, and that God is oh so close. Like he has made that link for us and he says, so rejoice. I'm going to say it again, rejoice. But then he chases that line with another line, which is this. So don't be anxious about anything. Like, don't worry. Like, who finds that easy? Right, okay. Yeah, don't, don't worry about anything. Persecute, oh, don't worry. Like, just rejoice. Alone, maybe I can swallow them together. It's a harder message to receive. In this moment, I just want to offer that that word anxious or anxiety, um, Paul would have never had what scholars and thinkers have so helpfully put around that word over the last 150 years that help us engage with the whole idea of anxious thoughts. He'd have never known that, and so maybe it's even unfair to use that language description of what we think of as we hear the word and what he would be describing. But he says this, uh, this word, don't be anxious. And it's a Greek word that is merimnate. And it's the same word that Jesus uses in the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. And he has this little snippet or excerpt um, that he says, calls, do not worry. And I just want to read you a little bit. He says this, this is Jesus talking. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body and what you'll wear. Is not life more than food or the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, by merimnating, 
add a single hour to your life. This word merimnate has this like cerebral emphasis. It's literally like, it's to like chew something over, to kind of go around it again and again and again. I want you to imagine lying on your pillow and just repeating, going around the thought continually again and again and again. Are you there? Can you imagine it? That is what it is like to merimnate, to stew on something. I see a counsellor pretty regularly and um, one of the things as we've been talking and sharing life together a little bit that he said about me is he says that I have a tendency to put the same level of weight or worry on things that are happening or have happened as things that might happen and things that might not happen. So he says, like, you, you assert the same level of worry in your day to the things that are literally happening right now or have happened to you, like all the trauma, let's deal with all of that, at the same level of weight attached to things that might happen and things that might not happen. And then he says to me, does today not have enough worries of its own? To which I say, well, sure, but I'm in here talking to you about it. <laughs> you know, we still carry these things, don't we? We still walk around with them. But we merimnate, we worry from time to time. Last week I had the privilege of going away just for one night with a really close friend. He comes to Saint, he's called Marcus. And um, we headed for the coast, it just hit that sunny spell. And uh, we were like, let's go have dinner together, like sunset, watch the sun go down, chat, pray, catch up, spend some time in one of those presents. And um, we had dinner, we grabbed two cans of drink and we, we headed for the hills. We were right by the coast. We were trying to find a hill that would look over the sea in a way that we could watch the sun go all the way down. Can you imagine it? Quite romantic, how I describe it like this. <laughs> and as we're there, we walk along this, uh, this hillside and we get to this moment and Mark's like, this is perfect. He sees a, um, a fence along a kind of built brick wall and he's like, let's sit up here. So he climbs up and he sits on this fence post and it collapses uh, under his weight. And, um, and as he does, he drops our two cans of drink, our only drink for the evening. And, um, and they fall and they land on quite stony ground and they begin, to, and they both burst. Like they both burst, they start rolling down the hill. I turn, I run, I grab the lowest can, I pick it up and it's spurting as it's decompressing out the side. So I do what I only think I can do and I, and I shove it. I shove my mouth over the void because I'm like, I'm not wasting my one drink. And I let all that decompressing energy like, like go into my mouth. And as it slowly settles, I pull it away from my mouth and, and, and I'm just sort of there, mouth full of like foamy liquid and I'm just there. And I, and I begin to notice that there's some like solid bits in there as well as liquid. And I do that thing that you can imagine you do. I, I sort of do that like, you know, when you're not and you're working it around in your mouth trying to figure out what it is and as I look down at the can again what I see is the remnants of the fact that the can since it landed on the stones and between that and picking it up it had rolled through a cow pat and what continued over the next three and a half minutes was continual gagging and a, a friend who I thought was a friend laughing at me in that moment like, that is the best depiction I can offer you of what it might feel like to merimnate on anxious thoughts. It is like to, to think that you're putting something in you and realizing that there's much more damaging effect to it than you once thought as you're stewing it over and chewing it over and trying to process what the heck is this that's going on in me. And the Apostle Paul is encouraging us. He says, look, try not to merimnate. 
Try not to worry over those thoughts again and again and again. Nor is he saying, please let me add. Nor is he saying, don't deny them either. Don't deny your worried thoughts. I have to continually remind myself as I read through this passage that Paul, at the moment of this writing, is locked away in prison with every opportunity to stew and worry and marinate on what his future might be in the days to come. But instead, what the Apostle Paul is doing for me in these moments is he is confronting like my marinate, my chewing over these thoughts with this like perverse hope that I somehow think that I can save myself from my own thoughts through worry alone. Like if I work through them enough, if I just go over and over and over them enough, somehow like it's going to separate the, the liquid from the solid. But that's not the case. It's not the experience, and it can be so crippling to hope. That's been my experience at times like this. And I've got a really wise friend who I often go to in moments where I sense, you know, you kind of have those moments where you're like, oh, I may be entering into a moment of quite deep worry now. And he has some great teaching around um, how to deal with unknowns. And, he, and, he, and like an unknown can be anything like, um, am I going to make enough money to... Uh, survive this month or am I going to be able to do what my boss has asked me to do this month like these can be unknowns right you can choose your own unknown and uh, there's two general responses he says to unknowns the first is the way of faith which uh, leads us towards curiosity postures us uh, like in intrigue towards God and if we follow this way of thinking, as we look at an, un at an unknown, what it says to the situation is that it is not fixed, but the character and nature of God is. And as we follow that path, what we find is that we are able to trust. But the other response to unknown is the opposite of that feeling, right? It's that opposite feeling where our circumstance feels so massive, it's almost become fixed, and I therefore have to choose to try and control that through anxiety, through worry, and high levels of control. And what I find as I follow that journey is that I begin to question the character and nature of God, not my circumstance. And so what the Apostle Paul is uh, asking us to you know, engage in is like, let's be people of faith. Let's be people who posture our intrigue and our attempts to control away from ourselves and into the hands of Jesus. So rather than stewing over, rather than merimnating our way through our days, the encouragement is that we might somehow shape those broken thoughts into broken prayers, to take those uh, really difficult things and slowly try and entrust them to Jesus. And here's what he says he will do in reply. Verse seven, if you do this, you will receive peace. What it actually says is, and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind. You know, Philippi was like a garrison town, like, like a bastion, like a, like a heavily fortified area. There would have been people at gateposts and parts of the city that would have been on guard continually. So I want you to imagine as the church receiving these words that what, what is trying to be communicated here is that someone is actively standing. Jesus is actively standing with you as you turn over that broken prayer in trust and say, I'm going to guard your heart and mind. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to hold you in that freedom if only you will give it to me. 
I was uh, reflecting again on the story of Martin Luther King, who um, many of you will have tracked, but after one particularly disturbing uh, phone call that was a death threat he received by phone, uh, he was unable to sleep, and he later recounts it in a sermon that's entitled, Our God is Able. And here's what he said about that moment. It seemed that all of my fears had come down on me at once. I had reached the saturation point. I got out of bed and began to walk the floor. Finally, I went to the kitchen and heated a pot of coffee. I was ready to give up. With my cup of coffee sitting untouched before me, I tried to think of a way to move out of the picture without appearing a coward. Just pause for a moment. Doesn't that sound like Merimnating? If I just chew and stew through this idea long enough, maybe I can figure my way out of the situation. He goes on to say, in this state of exhaustion, when my courage had all but gone, I decided to take my problem to God. And so with my head in my hands, I bowed over the kitchen table and prayed aloud. I am at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I've come to the point where I cannot face it alone. And King recounts that at that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never experienced him before. Almost at once, my fears began to go. My uncertainty disappeared and I was ready to face anything. Isn't that a hopeful way to approach God? That in this moment where he couldn't think his way out, as he turned that broken prayer, to God. I cannot do it alone. I'm at the end of myself. It says that he received a peace that meant he could face anything. And hey, the promise isn't that our circumstance will automatically change. We can pray for that. I'm longing that that might be the case. If you know Martin Luther King's story, you'll know that just three days later, his house was actually bombed. And it recounts that he actually received that news with peace because of the moment that he had with his father reaching out in broken prayer. And this is the same for you and I too. It's the same in the promises of Scripture. I think about the Old Testament in Daniel, in chapter 3, when you know Daniel and his two friends um, choosing not to obey the gods of the culture and instead to follow God. And the king says, unless you bow, we are going to throw you in a fiery furnace. And he recounts, he says, Our God can save, he will save, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow. And so they bind them up. They turn the furnace up seven times hotter than usual. The soldiers that even took them to the entrance of the fire died under the immense heat and they threw them into that fire. And just moments later, you hear the King Nebuchadnezzar crying out, hey, were there not three men that we sent into that fire? I see four. They are unbound and walking around freely. And one of them looks like the son of the gods. Our promise there is that in this moment of broken prayer, even in the midst of great trial, God is with you in the fire, friends. God is with you in the furnace. God is alongside you in the furnace. It's the same in the New Testament too. Our best depiction, I think we get from the disciples in the Gospels is them on the water, right? In the storm. Does anyone know what I'm talking about when they're out in the boat? And uh, you see the first time it happens, Jesus is asleep in the boat. They're out in the storm together. And they get to this moment, one of the Gospels even gets a bit fruity. And uh, it says that someone recounts to Jesus, like, do you even care? Uh, Doesn't that sound like a broken prayer to anyone? I was like, it doesn't sound like they're stewing anymore on their worry. They're worried that the next wave is going to overtake them. 
And one of them says, do you even care about me? Like broken prayer, I'm here for it. And Jesus, in that moment, he wakes up and he says three powerful words. He says, peace, be still. And in that moment, the situation around them changed entirely. The seas were calmed, the storm was stilled, and everything was well for a moment. There's a second account where Jesus sends them out in a boat. Uh, he's then finishing teaching. He, he then sees that they're in a storm and he begins to walk out upon the waters. And this time again, it says that they were so full of fear and trembling that as Jesus approaches them on the water, this time he doesn't speak to the storm. He calls to his son, Peter, and he says, hey, why don't you come and walk on the waters with me? And just for a moment, Peter is able to stand above the situation that he finds himself in. Face to face, eye to eye with his father as he's offered that prayer like, do you even care? He says, come and see. And these things don't make sense because Peter is receiving a peace way beyond his understanding in these moments. It doesn't make sense to stand on stormy waters and yet feel like you're stood on solid ground. It doesn't make sense, and yet the same promise is true for you and I. That as we turn our broken thoughts into broken prayers, that God will respond with his peace. This is what he offers to us, and as you entrust your cares to God, you can receive peace. Let me say this, you can't turn off your anxious thoughts, but I'm learning that you can turn them over. You can turn them over. And then knowing that Paul uh, is at risk of leaving this church with questions, maybe having addressed now what we shouldn't do, he now says, hey, here's what to do instead. And he says, finally, whatever's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, I want you to think about such things. That Greek word for think is... Um, logists say, I tried to Google Translate pronounce, it still didn't work. But it literally means to dwell upon, to meditate on. And this is the action, friends, of being filled with the presence of, of Christ. As we allow him to do this, he begins to take up room in our hearts. Isn't it amazing what happens when Christ dispels our worries and fills it with other things? This is what he does. He fills us with his presence. And in a culture that is trying to think itself out of worry, there are so many people who are looking for hope. And they're going to find it in the presence of Jesus. It's the same thing. It's why Jesus came 2,000 years ago to stand upon the, the seas and the storms and the sin of humanity to get into the boat and to die upon a cross to still the storm and offer his peace. He can reconcile and redeem every thought, every worry, every concern. And he has a great gift for you and I. And so if we can step into this, we can hold together the great season of hope with our current situation. And we can live with unwavering hope as we turn our thoughts over to him. So all we need to do today, friends, is broken thoughts into broken prayers. And the great gift of his presence, he's going to come remake us, redeem us, and move us on. Amen? Amen. Amen. So why don't, could I, I'm just going to pray for us, and then we'll just have a little moment to respond together. So Father, we just uh, come before you with all that we're walking through today. God, every anxious thought, 
every worry we can't control, every trial and circumstance that we can't dictate or manoeuvre our way out of. Lord, we ask that in this moment you would come by your presence and help us to pray. Help us to turn them over to you. Help us to entrust them to you. And we ask that in your kindness you would give us your peace and you would instill in us your great hope. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you're able, why don't you stand to your feet wherever you are and what we're going to do is we're just going to take a, a few moments to pray together. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask the team that we're here to pray or if you're a connect group leader, why don't you come just to the front right now? Don't wait around. So if you came to pray or you'd like to pray, come and um, come and fill the front and Sil's going to help. If you can get into pairs actually as well, it just really helps people that would like to receive prayer, ideally like guy and girl as well so anyone can come. And uh, these guys are going to be stationed around here. And what we're going to do is we're going to make space now just for the next uh, little moment. We're going to worship together. And in the presence of God, if you'd like prayer for anything, if you even need help turning your anxious thoughts to him, if you want to get right with God, if you need prayer for anything at all, now's the time. You can come. So let me invite the Spirit again, and, and then we'll move into time of worship. So we pray, come, Holy Spirit, fill our hearts. Fill this place. Flood our hearts with your affection again. Dispel our fears with your perfect peace. Thanks for listening to this week's talk. If you'd like to find out more, give or connect with us, visit our website, saint.church. Have a great week and we'll see you soon.